Well, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. Uh, my name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead uh, pastors here, and it is, uh, <laughs> it is delightful to, to be with you today. Um, I'm having a little bear, bear with me, please, um, as we try to get these going. Um, uh, why don't I pray? Oh, that's true. And then, uh, uh, Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for this day and for your presence <laughs> in our lives. Um, God, we just ask that you uh, be here and be present um, and that you would move in us and change us in ways that only you can. Even though we are scattered physically, we are gathered in you. Uh, and so we pray from that place that we would hear from you uh, and, and engage with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Um, I want to start by uh, reading the passage we're going to be uh, focusing on today, and then we're going to get into uh, the rest of um, our stuff. So this is James 1, uh, and it's 19 and 20. If you have your Bible with you, you can open up and read there, or you can uh, go on our online, uh, online uh, dashboard there, and you can click on the Bible tab, uh, or you can just read along on the screen, and it will be there. Um, there for you. Um, here we go. Um, and actually, my verses got lost too here. This is a, a banner moment for me. Um, so, um, let's see if we can get, uh, I am going to do my best to, to read this, um, even though uh, I cut and paste something else in there. So 19 and 20, here we go. Uh, dear brothers and sisters, please take note of this. Um, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This is what we're gonna be looking at today. Now, before we do that, I want to ask you, though, if you could stand up, um, and it might feel weird, uh, but if you're able to and willing to, you could stand, and then just take, uh, take your head, put it into kind of neutral position, give a gentle twist to the right, not too far, just looking that way, and let your eyes follow along, move to the left. Good. And then right back to the center, nice and slow. Now that's the horizon. That's the horizontal um, line. And Jesus taught us to, to live and move in that structure on earth, right? On the horizon, the spaces that we see, the places that we can enter into. Now, Jesus also taught us how to pray on a different axis, on a vertical axis. So this one, uh, if you have neck problems, don't do this. I'm only gonna have you look up just a little bit so look up and then let your eyes go up, okay? And so Jesus taught us to pray in this vertical axis. The ancient cosmology of Israel was that uh, heaven and earth come together when we pray. And so uh, this is another axis. Bring your head back down if you would. And then you can have a seat again if you're standing. And I just want you to, to watch me for a second and kind of watch and listen to what happens. This is when Jesus prayed, right? Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory both today and forever. Amen. And so there's this movement, even in Jesus' prayer, starts heaven, heaven and earth come together. Earth is this horizon that we live and move and have our being in. There's this direction that we investigate and reflect on who we are, and then we go back to God. It's both levels. It's multi, uh, multi-dimensional, if you will. And I want to start with that this morning because we are at the same time citizens of heaven and I believe citizens, or at the very least, residents of earth. And scripture, I believe, calls us to do both of these at the same time. And the reality that I think I'm discovering, and when I talk to a lot of you, we're all discovering it, this this is really, really hard. It's very difficult. How do we do this? How do we carry this? How do we as citizens of heaven live out that life in the place we live here on earth? And again, it's really, really difficult. Now, uh, this four-week series we're doing entitled Citizens, Becoming Healers in an Age of a Division is trying to address that. In the first week, we looked at how Jesus invited us to engage in disagreements and to not ask the question, who wins? But instead, who is called and who can be saved? And we saw how Jesus called people who were not only from different backgrounds, but who were from rival philosophies and even enemies, I believe. Two groups, the publicans or the tax collectors and the zealots, whose discord and hatred for each other was strong. It would be like Antifa and the Proud Boys. It would be like Nazis and Jewish people asked to come and follow Jesus. Jesus called them and empowered them. When we hear those groups put together, it feels automatically like I can't believe that that could happen. But that's what Jesus invites us into, that possibility. And then last week, Rich took a look at how we deal with our fears in the midst of these times and in the midst of aggressive division amongst people. When families are not speaking, friendships are seemingly torn apart with no hope of reconnecting. And how do we navigate from a center of love rather than fear. And one of the things we looked at was how the brain worked. And I, and I, I want to review that again. Um, I don't know if my slides on this will work or not. We will, we will investigate that in just a moment. Um, but we looked at how the brain works, and, and it's relevant for what we're going to talk about today. Uh, in one of the three main parts of the brain called the cerebellum, there were two parts we looked at. The first is the prefrontal cortex, and that's located kind of up in the front area of your brain. And it is used for things like decision-making, planning, uh, working memory, prioritizing, inhibiting impulses, reflecting, organizing, strategizing, self-control, delaying gratification, and coordinating thought and emotion. It's a big list. But those things all allow then for expressions like forgiveness, empathy, hospitality, patience, self-control, and listening. 
As we noted last week, scientists have also observed in the midst of this that a person can get through their entire day without accessing any of those functions. Because the way our brain works is it utilizes energy and it kind of likes to find the path of least resistance. And so it'll go and find ways to, to engage that reserve energy, especially when we're in sort of high stakes times and our interactions feel like they're really drawing a lot from us. It'll look for ways to help preserve that. And so one of the things it does is it, instead of going to the prefrontal cortex, it engages with another part of the brain in the limbic system called the amygdala. Now the amygdala has some functions too. It's risk-taking, motivation, hunger, our sleep cycle, long-term memory, sensation-seeking, reward-seeking, novelty-seeking, impulsivity, immediate needs, and the primacy of emotional expression. And these all allow for things like fear, shame, anger, disgust, sadness, hopelessness, but also things like courage, delight, happiness, hopefulness, all these things take place there. And so the thing with these two is that the amygdala does not require, again, as much energy as the prefrontal cortex. And so the brain likes to like uh, dwell there because it helps it reserve energy. With this, our current situation, we're giving up a lot of energy. Sometimes just thinking about the things we need to do takes a lot of energy. And so our lives right now play towards us operating more in the limbic region, the amygdala, in our brains. The media plays towards it. Things going on around us, the election, the pandemic, cultural and social issues, economic issues, and at the same time throw in someone's new cat videos, silly animated GIFs and memes and all that, and our person is jolted around in a whiplash-like fashion on the nightmare carnival ride for our inner person. And we get exhausted, and we use a lot of energy, and so we don't have energy to put towards engaging with these things with the prefrontal cortex, and we stay in the amygdala. And then what our brain does is it likes to fill in the gaps when we don't get things. I remember in um, one of my college courses focused on uh, the physiology of exercise in the human body, we were talking about fast twitch muscle fibers and fast twitch muscle fibers are the ones that they're explosive, they're really strong, but they don't have a ton of endurance, right? So you can do something really quick with a lot of strength and power, but can't sustain it. Uh, slow twitch muscle fibers are the more the endurance ones. They fire more slowly, but they can maintain a contraction for a longer time. And my professor was saying that cats in specific have, uh, and especially in their four paws, they have um, a lot of fast twitch muscle fibers and they can move so quickly with their paws, they could swipe and our brains and our eyes, we can't perceive the whole movement. And so what we do is we go, well, I caught this spot and this spot and that spot so this is, this is the line it took. And it puts together an image for us to connect all those things. So we try to fill in the gaps. Now this is within context. Like those of you that have cats, you might think our cats are like doing this, but in the meantime, they're plotting and scheming and setting up devices to take over. Uh, but it's not quite that fast. And so, um, but it's, the, the point is, is our brains fill in the gaps. And we do this with people, uh, especially when we're low on energy. 
Okay, Dr. John Medina, who's a developmental molecular biologist who focuses on the genetics involved in human brain development and psychiatric disorders, listed one of the main functions of the prefrontal cortex as the coordination of thought and emotion. And I found that fascinating because instead of filling in the gaps, instead of uh, you know, just letting our impulses roll, the prefrontal cortex says, wait, 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 that's, wait, there's something going on there. It brings the amygdala in and they work together, right? It brings together the coordination of thought and emotion. And I thought that was really interesting. And with this, what I want to focus on today is listening. Again, in our passage for today, uh, James, the author, he says, everyone, everyone Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to become angry. Why slow to speak? Because words matter. They shape things, and we often use them carelessly and even wield them like weapons. One of my best friends in college, um, he and his siblings would uh, have nicknames for each other, and and they developed over time, and sometimes they weren't even uh, names that, that, that made sense. It was, it was a kind of a nonsensical word. Um, and one of his siblings, they kind of went through this progression, and this name sort of evolved, and it was like Loopy, Loopsy, uh, and then it ended up being Loser. But they didn't have any intention of it meaning what we all know loser to be. And, and the, the, the sibling was young enough, hadn't really encountered that word yet. And then they were watching the Saturday morning cartoons and in between the cartoons, they have these morals and these, these little uh, short pieces. They're gonna try to teach us a lesson. And it was one about uh, smoking, right? And at the end, Superman is standing there talking with this kid who's trying to play baseball and having trouble because he's been smoking and he can't, he can't even run the bases and all these other things. And Superman says, smoking is for losers. And my friend said his brother looked at them like, is this who you think I am? Like, this is what you've been calling me? Our words have power. Proverbs 15:4 says, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Crushes. Have you ever been on the receiving end of crushing words? Or have you ever been on the giving end of crushing words? Now, with this, I I want you to, to understand that some of us actually need to speak more. But many of us need to listen also and continue to speak. Please hear this before we go any further. I am not telling you that you need to be quiet I'm saying that for some of us, speaking is all we're doing, and we need to balance that by listening to inform our speaking, not only to others, but to God. One person said of themselves, what if I don't share my opinion all the time? What if this moment is one where I'm gonna uh, not convince someone that I'm right? What if others have a role to play in helping me see a bigger picture? How can I not get caught up in the chaos and the noise but cultivate a spiritual practice of listening to others and attending to the Holy Spirit? But again, this isn't easy. And as we noted, there are many things in this world that are currently working against this process. One of my favorite comedians, uh, Maria Bamford, who I, I want you to hear this right now though. 
I'm not recommending that you go listen to her if you at all are made uncomfortable uncomfortable by awkwardness. Uh, and I'm really serious about that. If you go and listen to her and find yourself offended, I warned you. Uh, so, so, but this part is nice. Uh, and so this is what she said about listening um, at one point. Can you get that one? <laughs> I doubt that's true. I wish, I wish science, I wish science would come up with a brain ride where you can get inside somebody's brain and see like all their thoughts and their experiences and their memories and why they believe and think the way they do and how they uh, see the world. And I know there's a low tech version just called listening, but. <laughs> Okay, so I love that, that she's like, yep, no, I wanna, I wanna ride, but there's this low-tech version called listening. Like, if we wanna get to know somebody, listening is the way we could do this. The other thing um, I wanna uh, let you know is um, I'm not asking you to be quiet, and I'm not asking you to let bad things happen. If a person is about to step in front of an oncoming bus, I don't have a moment to investigate their story and see what led them to the point where they were stepping out in front of a bus. You have to call out the things that are happening that are not okay. Jesus confronted his disciples who asked if they should call down fire upon heaven uh, upon the Samaritans who were not hospitable to Jesus or to them. He rebuked them, meaning he said you can't do that. We have to call out what is wrong and we have to move on those things, but... If in the process we create an alliance with something, an organization or any person that facilitates, asks or demands that we hate someone, even those who are oppressors, then we have abandoned the gospel to ally with a worldly system. Because when we're not listening, we're staying in the amygdala region of our brain. We're making assumptions, we're filling in the gaps and we don't actually have the full story. Have you ever had a moment where you said, wow, I really thought I knew that person? And sometimes that happens and we're pleasantly surprised and sometimes we're devastated. Sometimes we say, wow, I've thought this all this time about this person, but now I know something different about their story. I know what they've been carrying. Can we actually make space for someone else's story? Not to excuse, but to understand. Can we make space for someone else's story when we disagree with them? And I'm not talking just minor disagreements, but really something major. One pastor named A.J. Sherrill says, there's actually no one better equipped than the church to do this well. Because we are rooted in Christ and secure in our identity. We're not jockeying for position over people. We're not playing the games of and participating in the bullying, the dehumanizing, and the manipulation that so often run the systems of the world. And therefore, we're able to stand with people and bear their story, that we have capacity for their differences in their stories because we are anchored. And in that process, it allows us to see that change is necessary for everyone, including ourselves. That's what listening looks like. I hear you, not because it's my duty, not because I'm letting you talk so I can get my point in, not so that I can force my opinion on you, not so that I can convert you, but because you are created in the image of God and you are beloved. But how do we do that? 
How do we hold these across the table with someone who disagrees with us? I found asking questions. Why? Why do you believe that? How did you come to that belief? What led you to that decision? And are we open to do both this and maybe hear something that will change us, that will help us better love the people we are with? Or do we find ourselves instead in those situations throwing accusations, even in our hearts? You're an idiot. You don't get it. Because I don't believe that's what Jesus called us to. I believe we are creatively called to something different. And again, I want you to hear me because it may feel like what I'm getting at is sort of a we just got to get along kind of thing. That our position doesn't matter. What we think about this doesn't matter. But that's not it because positions do matter. They matter deeply. Because those shape how we respond to the things and people around us. But for many of us, the positions we hold have become the most important things and the only things that matter and the only things that we allow to shape us. And these are things that mark us in in ways that are necessary as citizens of earth. But as citizens of heaven, posture matters also. How we hold our positions is equally as important as the positions we hold. One person said, in many ways right now, the far right and the far left have more more in common than ever. I was very interested to see what they had to say. They said, not in the positions they hold, but how they hold them. Criticizing, closed, villainized. They asked the question, Do we feel like we need to villainize someone to figure out who we are? It's a question of identity. But Jesus taught us to pray and live on the vertical axis and the horizontal. And that reality makes a demand for us as the church to grow into something that is beyond where our culture can or could ever lead us. We have to resist the lie that the only unity we can strive for and the only unity that matters is on our positions. And instead, there's these richly diverse spaces of unity that are beyond our positions and is rooted in a new identity that is stable and strong in Christ. In the church, she becomes something better instead of the cliche we often see because we keep splitting into groups that are more identified by our positions. I agree with this group of people on these things, and so I stay there. And so the church looks like the culture. And our only grid for staying together is if we agree. The beauty is when the church can say our unity is vertical, and it gives us so much more capacity for the horizontal, that we can stand together even though we have differences And I can stand your differences and you can stand with mine because my core identity is not up for negotiation. So we can continue to walk together and actually figure it out. This is when we have our positions in the horizontal, but our posture 
in the vertical. I want you to listen to the words that God says in Isaiah 1, 12 through 20. It's 12 through 18. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. And know your sins are like scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. They are, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. In this passage, God and Israel are not in a good space. God says, I cannot endure what you are doing. My soul hates. I will hide my eyes. I will not listen. And then God turns and says, so come and sit with me. Let us reason together. Let us show the world together. You, the imagery is someone coming to the table honestly with everything they are and sitting with God and reasoning, even battling it, fighting it out. And God says, I'm gonna continue to make space at this table no matter what you bring. I'm, gonna, I'm willing to have you come and reason with me and we together We'll figure this out. This is the heart of God. Because God's identity is secure. God is not playing the games of the world and God is able to have capacity for us and all we carry. What would it be like to be a place where people thrived in that kind of environment? where we said, you don't have to agree with me, but I am going to love you well. I'm gonna give you space to speak your story. I have a couple of stories that I actually wanna close with. One is uh, from a book by uh, a guy named Jim Warner. And he, you may have heard this story before, but uh, he served as a counselor at a camp where uh, people from the city could come and uh, retreat and rest in nature. Um, and this is the time he was in his early 20s and they would invite senior citizens from inner city Chicago and they would eat and those that needed assistance uh, got to go first. But there was one lady who she didn't need help. 
but she would run to the front. She would knock people over. Uh, people in walkers, she would shove them out of the way every single meal, and they confronted her, and she still did it. And they actually formed a human wall of the leaders to, to restrict her from getting there out of respect for the people who needed assistance. And she also, uh, he writes, refused to shower. And so you could smell her coming uh, from a long ways away. And finally, it says some of the counselors took her to the shower and had her shower. And they said she, she wailed the whole time. But everyone was grateful that that had been done. Now there was another camper there who this young man spent a lot of time with, an older gentleman who was just wonderful. He was intelligent. He spoke 17 different languages. He was from Hungary. And this young man confided in this man um, what a pain this woman had been to the entire camp and how thankful everyone was that they had done all these things. And the man looked at him and said softly, that's my wife. And Jim Warner says he was speechless. But the man rolled up his sleeves and pointed to numbers on his arm. He says, she has numbers on her arm too. She was a concert pianist traveling all over Europe before uh, the Nazis came and got her and took her into one of the camps and made her a test animal. And they cut out pieces of her brain. And somehow she survived and we connected up. We had been married before and we connected up and people told me I should abandon her and, and leave her. I said, I couldn't. She's my wife. And the author says, and I started thinking about the open shower rooms that they drug her into and the lines for food. If we listen well, maybe we'll see something different. No matter how the other person makes us feel, I believe in the power of God to do things in this world that we believe are impossible. One more story. Um, a guy who uh, I've followed for a long time named Rob Bell um, and who has gone through a lot. He was a pastor and then stopped being a pastor and then, uh, you know, the church in general, Christians, Christendom, we didn't know what to do with him because it seemed like he was, you know, kind of adopting some different viewpoints than what are traditional. Um, and, and we were really afraid because we thought he was kind of one of our guys and he was hip and young and we, we had a lot of faith that he was going to change the world uh, for us. Um, and so now it seemed like, boy, I don't know if he's going to. And, um, and Rob Bell, in an interview um, was being asked his opinions on uh, homosexuality. And, um, and, and the, the people asking him the questions just started asking some very blunt and just direct and, and really uh, kind of aggressive questions. 
Um, and, and Rob Bell just kept answering and they just kept pushing because they weren't satisfied with his answer. Um, and then he finally, Rob Bell said, look, I, can I ask you a question back? And they said, yeah, sure, absolutely. And he said, uh, would you take communion with me? Could we sit at the table together? And the two people interviewing him didn't have an answer. They were kind of shut down and didn't know what to do. Um, and, and I just was so struck in that moment. Some of the things that, that we may have differences are that we've shut down fellowship for. Um, I think God's actually much bigger than those things. And, uh, and we're living in a time where we're filling in the gaps. We're not listening. Um, we're not sitting with people's stories. We're not even looking for people's stories. We're looking at their Facebook profiles and, and, and quick glances we have, and we're not really actually asking questions. We're just firing shots. Um, and I wonder if this question could... could could we have communion together? Could, could we sit and have fellowship together? Could we do something different? Because I know one of the things I miss is being able to be in the same space and taking communion together. Because I know some of you, and I can safely say I disagree with all of you on something. But when we're walking together to the table and partaking together, Somehow I don't see those things. And I wonder if there's something about being near Christ that affects us in that way. Because I think the world needs that. I think it needs that kind of listening. And I do think that the church can be the ones to do that. I have a few questions that I would like to ask as, uh, as we close. Um, in just a minute, the um, worship team, Jessica and Rich, are going to come up and lead us in a closing song. They'll play instrumentally for a moment to give you time to reflect on these questions, and then, um, and then we'll close with that song. So here's, here's the questions. One, do you believe that God has capacity to relate to you as you are with all you carry? So let me repeat that again. Do you believe that God has capacity to relate to you as you are with all you carry? Two, are there any positions you were holding that are facilitating, asking, or demanding you to hate someone else? Not, not to disagree or to even hate the thing they believe, but the actual person. Three, and if you were to engage with God about this, sit down and reason with God at the table, what might you say to God? What might God hear from you? And what might you hear from God? And then lastly, are there any actions you sense, feel led to take this morning um, 
after we have engaged with this passage to listen. I'm gonna pray and then uh, again, we'll have an instrumental time to kind of reflect and think and then, um, and then we'll close with a song. Father, I give you great thanks that your invitation is to come and reason with you. God, it is, it is beyond my understanding that you have capacity to, to deal and not deal with us like on a, like you have to tolerate us kind of basis, but, but you say, I, I love you. I want you to be here. I want you to come as you are. I want for us to work on things. I want us to, to care for one another and engage with one another and that that's the, that's the model that's what you ask us to do. And I know myself, God, I have people and, and, and thoughts and philosophies that I feel like I, there's no way I could sit with a person who thought that. And at the same time, God, I say I believe. Help, help my unbelief. God, help us go and give space and listen to the, to the people that we just don't know how to engage with. What stir in us the things to ask, the discernment that we would have. Uh, and God, help us because it's so hard and we're so tired. And there are so many people who are hurting. So help us find that right space of how do we call out the things that shouldn't be and yet still love and care for the people around us. Yeah, I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.